You know, what they were singing about is the very mention of what we talked about just a few moments ago. Is that on this day, when Jesus resurrected and conquered death, it changed the course of human history. Everything since that moment has not been the same. Because up until that moment, there had been moments where it seemed like hopelessness could prevail. But after that moment, there's always hope. There's always a moment where God could do something supernatural. But did you know that as we're celebrating the power of Christ's resurrection today, this is not the first time He challenged death? No, it's not. Matter of fact, He not only conquered death by becoming fully alive, but there's evidence in Scripture that we're going to read about in just a few moments that said that every single time that He being the life, the, the way, the truth, the life, when life confronted death, resurrection power happened each and every time. That should make us all excited because I, I didn't die on a cross 2,000 years ago, but my Savior did. But I've got some stuff along the way that accumulated in my life that needed resurrecting. I had some hopeless situations that needed to have hope instilled and infused in it. And because He got up out of the grave, I can be alive as well and so can you. Can somebody say amen? So I'm going to talk this morning about this fully alive Jesus versus death round one through four. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for a moment where we have to raise up the name that is above every other name. That through the name of Jesus, men can be saved. Through the name of Jesus, people can be healed. Father, through the name of Jesus, chains can be broken. Through the authority of the name of Jesus, wounds can be healed and a life that is shattered can be whole. And Father, I ask for the anointing power of the Holy Spirit to rest upon me a servant, that I might speak your word with, and, with, a, with fluency and with passion, and I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. See, I love how Mark starts to write the fifth chapter. It's almost like a movie. It grabs your imagination and he starts to talk about when Jesus is... It, literally, he's painting you a picture of Jesus and disciples in a boat and they're rowing across the other side of a lake. And it literally gets you wrapped up that it seems like that the moment that this boat touches the shore and the oars are placed in the boat and Jesus' feet touches the beach, there was a man. His name was Jairus. Jarius, whichever pronunciation you want. There he stood, a leader. He, ha he was a man of power, influence, affluence. He was, he was rich. He was powerful. He had titles. He was a ruler in a synagogue. He, he kind of had his place in society. But through all the things that he had acquired up until that point, he reached a situation that become more desperate than all of his titles. And now he's willing to risk everything. He's willing to be fired from his job. He's willing to put stock in the authority of whom they say, not he says just yet, but whom they say could be the Messiah. The healer, the miracle worker. 
And there he is because what had challenged Jairus' life was that his 12-year-old daughter now lay on a deathbed. Her pulse starting to decline. Her heartbeat is starting to, to get slower and slower. And desperate measures, uh, desperate situations call for desperate measures. And when he decides... The only hope I have now is this miracle worker healer named Jesus. And he heard he was coming and he didn't wait for him to get to his house. He met him on the beach. I wonder what could be resurrected today if we didn't wait for Jesus just to somehow or another find his way into the circumstances of our lives. But what if today we invited him into the circumstances of our life to do a miracle in us? What could happen? He grabs him, he kneels down, and he says, Would you please come to my house? You're the only hope I have left. Listen to how scripture says it. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and he seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on him, on her, I'm sorry that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. That's important. Because when you know what other people have said about you. See, Jairus was part of the group that didn't really give a lot of stock or confidence in Jesus being the Son of God. They didn't really want, ever want to really publicly uh, recognize that he was the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. See, a lot of times people believe that God is wanting a distance between himself and them. And sometimes they don't feel worthy and sometimes they don't feel uh, qualified to come into his presence. But I want you to know that he will come wherever you are in whatever situation you find yourself. He will find yourself right there. He not only will go home with somebody that has a sick daughter that's at the point of death that talked bad about him. But you know what? I've talked bad about him before and possibly you've talked bad about him before and you think those words would keep him from coming because you hurt his feelings. He is God and he will go right where you need him to go. Can somebody say amen? So now we got Jesus, this guy, he gets him up off the ground and now we've got Jesus and this father of a, of a dying 12-year-old little girl going through a crowd that is pushing and pressing on them and right in the middle of this crowd is a woman that's been sick for 12 years. She's hemorrhaged for 12 straight years and she gets down and touches the hem of his garment and he stops. Now, if I'm, if I'm the little girl's dad, I'm like, God bless you, lady. Come on, we got to go. But he stopped. And called that lady a daughter. And I want you to understand, just to reemphasize my point, the disease that this woman had, uh, according to the Levitical law, put her in a position of being unclean. But yet the unclean can be called a daughter when you have the hope of the resurrection in life. And all of a sudden, the news that rocks the world comes. While he's talking to the woman, a servant from Jairus' house comes in and says, Don't trouble him anymore, she's dead. Oh, can you imagine being a parent and hearing those words? He probably breaks. If only I could have gotten him there. I wish he would have come to the shore, to the beach one day earlier. 
But Jesus now takes Jairus by the hand, looks him probably dead in the eyes, and he grabs him, I see him in my imagination, grabbing him by the face and said, you know you started your journey today believing that I was a miracle worker and I was a healer. Believe I'm the resurrection. If you only believe, I'll still go to your house. And somehow or another, this man gets convinced to take him all the way to her room. He gets there to his house and they've already started to hear the news throughout the community. The block has already said the little girl is dead. They're already singing the songs of mourning. They're already crying and weeping. And Jesus comes up and he starts to talk crazy talk because resurrection when confronted with death will start to talk crazy because at the point of death hope Listness sets in. And he said, you know what? I don't think she's dead. She's just asleep. And they laugh at him. He looks at Jairus and said, who are you going to believe, man? Make a decision. Keep them or me. He said, y'all got to go. Y'all got to get up on out of here. He said she's asleep. I believed he could heal her before she died. I, he's the only hope I got. If you keep singing, she's going to stay dead. So you got to go. Sometimes you got to usher some things out of your life to make room for resurrection power. Sometimes you got to ease something to the door and say, you got to go from here. He walks into that room and walks over to a dead girl and risks it all. Listen to what he says. While he was still speaking, uh, uh, there came a, uh, from the ruler's house who said, Your daughter is dead. And he told him, Only believe. And then in verse 41, he said, Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking around, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. That's, why, that's my type of scripture right there. Because what he did was he went over to a dead girl and grabbed her by the hand and said, Now, death, you have to understand something. You've had the rule of the roost in this situation for a long, long time. And people that have died, you've been able to keep, but not today. Now resurrection and life has come into the room. And I declare through my authority over you to let her go. And the Bible says she didn't open up her eyes and her mom and dad run over there and grab her by the wrist and say, Oh, we got a pulse. Praise God, we can get a life support system. No, the Bible says she jumped up out of the bed and started walking around. I'm not talking about just coming back to life barely alive. I'm talking about being fully alive. Can somebody say amen? wonder what can become fully alive in your life. That you've lost hope along the way. Huh. Second time. So death right now is really confused. Because death right now says, man, I've got kind of a good record here going and now there's a bark on the other side. I had her, lost her, but she was only dead for a short period of time, maybe a couple hours, and I kept her in the room. If I could just get her out of the house, if I can get somebody dead out of the house, maybe he can't reach them. So he's just walking. Out of the house. Now it's a whole nother city. Now a mother is walking behind a funeral procession and they're carrying the casket of her son. It's not in the house anymore and it ain't been a couple of hours. It's been a couple of days. And now they're taking him to the tomb. And Jesus sees this commotion going on and he sees the mother weeping and crying and she's crying because death had brought hopelessness to the situation and she had now assumed Life could not be had anymore the way that she knew it. And he looks at her and, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion. 
and he told her to quit crying. He said, what you're doing right now is adequate and appropriate for the situation, but the situation's fixing to change. See, before you had all these people mourning with you and trying to comfort you. I'm not here to comfort you. I'm here to do resurrection and life. And so don't quit, quit crying and give me a second. Will you stop for a moment? And evidently the woman stopped. He, did, he just reached over there and walked right up to the casket, put his hand on the casket and looked in. The Bible says that he touched the buyer, I think is what they called it. The casket is what it means. He looked in and said, all right, get up. And the boy jumped up out of the casket, fully alive. And he said, feed him. He's alive now. He ain't just got a pulse. He's not just, we ain't just got a real faint heartbeat. We got somebody that needs some food because he's back with you. He's alive. I wonder what would happen with resurrection power if we would stop long enough to take the Lord's word and say, you know what, I've cried over something long enough. Maybe if he reaches over into the thing that I thought was hopeless and looked in and started to speak the truth of his life over it, maybe it can come alive again. Amen. So we got round one where Jesus was declared the victor. Death met life, life wins. Now death thinks, well, if I get him out of, get him out of the house, he can't reach it. But now he's got him in a casket and death confronts life and life wins again. Now death's saying, oh man, maybe, maybe, just maybe. If I just get him, not, if he could just stay gone long enough to get him in the ground. Maybe if I get him in the ground. I'll have them for good. So the third time was a friend died. His name was Lazarus. He waits while he's sick. He, he hears word he's sick. And he tells his disciples, this sickness ain't going to kill him. It's not unto death. But you know what? He dies. And the disciples are confused. Not only did Jesus not come while he was sick, he missed the funeral. He didn't even go to the wake. He shows up four days later. And at the mention of the fourth day, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he starts talking. They're, they're still crying. They're still broken. They're still messed up over this whole death situation. And, and his, Lazarus' his sisters is really beside themselves. And, and he goes to them and, and he's, they start to give him the Christianese. And if you haven't become a Christian yet, you're in a good place because we don't really know Christianese that well here at CityGate. We kind of just lend ourselves to the truth. You know, you say, Pastor, what are you talking about Christianese? It's like this. Jesus goes, who do you think I am? I'm the resurrection and the life. And they go this. Well, we know you are, Lord. We know you're the resurrection. And on that great day where all the saints shall rise, I know my brother will rise too. He said, no, I'm not talking about that day. I'm talking about right now. I'm here right now with resurrection and life. See, sometimes folks need, beware, and I'm not downplaying prayer because I believe in prayer. I believe in the authority of prayer. But hasn't it become convenient when people run into a Christian and tell them their situation, they have enough courage and they lay it out there, enough vulnerability, lay it out there, and we give them sometimes the Christian answer. We'll pray for you, brother or sister. <laughs> They're not wanting you to go home and pray for them. They want you to pray right now. They're wanting you to bring some resurrection and some life right now. 
They're not wanting you to take it to like, like you're taking homework home. They're, wanting you to, they're looking for hope. That's why they brought you into their business. That's why they told you what they told you. For you right in the middle of Publix to say, well, let's just pray right now and let's just call resurrection and life right now to this situation. I know folks got saved in aisle four. I know people got, got healed in aisle eight. I know that there's been moments where marriages have been such on the rocks, but by the time they got to the cashier, somebody somewhere had a prayer of life that spoke a word that said, it shall not die but live. Amen. Yes. See, I had a praying mom. And my spiritual life looked really dim. Matter of fact, it looked dead. I was a long way away from God, but my mom would never get convinced. She would call light. She would speak stuff. Boy, she would. I didn't even want to go to the house. She would start reminding me who I was. You know, and, and she was raised Pentecostal. She did get going, man. She would get to move and start. David, I, and, and I didn't know if she was going to pray in tongues or pray in English, but I knew she was praying. And where she was praying and what was getting in her heart was starting to get on me, and it brought conviction to my life. Because she would not have what the enemy would whisper in her ear. Oh, I got your son. Oh, he's going to die and go to hell. Oh, I got him. He's going to be bound and addicted all of his life. She would just raise up and say, oh, no, you don't. And she would start speaking life over a dead situation because she believed that the resurrection power of Jesus could transform even her son. And he says, who are you going to believe? And he says, why don't you take me where you laid him? And here comes a little more Christianese. Well, you know he stinks by now, right? There's some stuff in all of our lives that stinks by now. And it needs to either get gone or get resurrected, one of the two. Amen? Touch your neighbor and say, either get it gone because it stinks or get it resurrected. He had died four days earlier. They wrapped him up like a mummy, poured perfume all over him to try to hide the stink. Here's one thing that I don't want to miss, and I, I, I would have if I'd have just kept going, is sometimes you're trying to cover up something that smells with something that smells good, and they're in conflict with one another because death still reigns through the perfume. But if you could ever get that thing to come alive again, the smell goes out the window with it. Amy, if you could get ready. I think she's on her way. So he gets to... They think he's going there to pay his last respects. <laughs> I wonder how many times the devil thought that my mom was going to pay her last respects to the memory of her righteous son until she got, she got to where I was in that tomb. I was crazy, like crazy, crazy. And, and she, got, she would get there and he would think, oh, I'm going to just go give up today. And she would just keep praying. And declaring life. He said, okay, I'm here. Now get some people together and get that rock out of the way. Well, Lord, he smells and are you sure? Have you ever noticed that we keep praying for God to move stuff that we can move for ourselves? Because he's not going to do it, friend. He's not going to roll that stone away. He's waiting for you to do what you can do. You go to the end of what you can do and he'll show up. Where you stop, he'll show up and make up the difference. He said, okay, move that stone. I'm here. Resurrection and life. Remember that. And they're like, this guy's crazy. Matter of fact, a crowd had gathered. They wanted to mock him. These guys, I, I don't know who did it, Mary or Martha. Maybe they went over there and tried to move it. And a guy, I, I'm assuming some guys showed up, you know, as big as tiny and just said, ah. 
and moved it out of the way. And then that guy did something that had never been done before. After four days, he looked into the darkness of death, into a tomb. After a body had been placed in it, he looked in there and called him by name and said, Lazarus, come forth. And a mummy started popping its way out. Because you know why? I knew it was a mummy because he looked at him and said, he's wrapped up with grave clothes. And he doesn't belong in grave clothes because he's no longer dead. He's alive. So loose him and let him go. Round three, Jesus stays undefeated, resurrection power. Then the death says, well, I can't even keep him when I get him in the ground. So let me do this. Let me kill him. He was brutalized, arrested after the abandonment of friends. One sold him for silver, one denied that he even knew him, and the other ten ran in fear for their own lives, and he gets arrested alone. He is marched to Caiaphas' house where he is placed into a cell where they have a mock trial and people are paid to lie about him and he's lied about and he is condemned to die a crucifixion death. He is humiliated by being stripped and beaten. They have mocked him by putting a crown of thorns on his head, beating, blindfolding him and beating him, spinning him in circles and, and mocked by saying, if you're a prophet, prophesy who hit you. Show us your God. I could just see him on the inside go, man, you don't even know. I could call angels and, and everybody on earth would be wiped out. But I'm not going to, see, if I prove to be God here, it won't do any good but for you. But if I prove to be God in a few days, it's going to be for the world. He is brutalized. He is punched in the face 500 times by Roman soldiers. That means his head was as big as a basketball, fully deformed by the impact of the contusions upon his face. You couldn't have picked him out if you knew him as your best friend. His skin had been stripped from his back and he was walking paraded nude to humiliate him through the streets of Jerusalem. He went all the way to, to, Cal, uh, to Calvary. He went to Golgotha's Hill where they stood him up on a cross after piercing his hands and feet with nails, dislocating his shoulders, not breaking a bone to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. There he stood on a cross dying a martyr's death for six hours. You cannot die from nails in your hands and feet. You suffocate. That's how you die through crucifixion. Finally, his muscles and his leg give way after six hours. During the six hours, he speaks the, uh, life over a man that is going to die, but he was still alive when he spoke to him, so that's not round four. Still on mission, saving somebody right there at the cross, a thief. And all of a sudden, he says, it is finished. And he dies. Death feels like, finally, I can put my reputation back intact. Finally, I've killed the one that said he was life. Resurrection and life. So they put him in a borrowed tomb, a tomb barred from a man named Joseph of Arimathea. One day comes, he does not move. There is no pulse. He has no breath. There is no brain activity. Day two, same situation. He has no pulse. There's no brain activity. He has not breathed his first breath in two days, 48 hours. Dead, dead, dead. Can you imagine the celebration of death? 
saying, finally, we have won. Just didn't get to the prophetic. Just thought that he had it in 48 hours. Never count your chickens before they hatch. Because on day three, at the dawning of day three, you got to realize the tomb was dark. He had grave clothes on. There was a rock over it and a band of soldiers outside because they were afraid they were going to come and steal the body and make up a story. When you're God, you don't need anybody to make up a story about you. You're the story all on your own. And in that moment on the third day, the first day of the week, early Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit entered into a tomb because the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead is inside of you. And inside of that tomb, He spoke one word. That is the word of life. He spoke the name that is above every other name. And at the speaking of the name of Jesus, the dead come back to life. The grave clothes are abolished. The stone rolls away. The soldiers can't stop him. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. And the soldiers could not confine him. And because he lives, you can live. Matt, if I could put on the screen there, everybody in this section, the things that they have thought that they would put in the category of hopeless. This could never be done again. This could never be resurrected again. Can you imagine what we would see on that screen with all of these people? Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's joy. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's faith. Maybe they never thought they could have faith again. Maybe relationships are broken. They think that they're done. What about this section? Wonder what would be shown on the screens if we just took everything that was considered hopeless in this situation. Dead. No life. Gone. Happiness, joy, peace of mind, peace of heart. The hope in a future, a hope in a tomorrow, hope in a dream that has long since passed same Jesus that got up from the grave 2,000 years ago got up so you could have life and have it more abundantly and live fully alive in the presence of an almighty king the king of kings and lord of lords he got up to show you he is God but stayed up so you could know that even in the most hopeless of situations he could bring it back to life are you going to sing that same thing that you sung? no? okay Would you think about the thing that you need resurrected? If you're thinking about, Pastor, I, 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 I'm not even saved. Can I think on things to be resurrected? Yes, you can. Starting with your life and your soul. Your spirit being redeemed by the power of the blood.